the 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. All right, good news on social media, Adam. They've corrected everything. The Dolphins last week posted that stupid pass in practice. Some kind of workout of uh, Tua to Tyreek Hill where Tyreek Hill had to basically stop and wave his hand for a fair catch that was so underthrown. I did see uh, some Raiders fans putting a positive spin on saying that uh, Derek Carr made a, a living off of throwing uh, underthrown passes to get PIs. So maybe that's what they were practicing. Okay. Uh, they are practicing the underthrown PI. Um, they did post a throw today. Um, rhythm in stride. Perfect. Go check out Miami Dolphins oh, nice. on Twitter. Yeah, they, they took them a week, but they were like, they knew what they did. My- they knew they screwed the guy. And, and like I said last week, Reacting to a random throw in practice is a little crazy since these guys throw 8 million passes. And as Caleb Herring said, a former quarterback, college football quarterback, um, when you're first working with a receiver like Tyreek Hill, there's going to be some cases where the ball is nowhere near the guy. Well, Caleb also made another point that I didn't even think about because I've always thought about that one. Hey, hey, you're working things out and you don't know what the situation was. Um, The other thing Caleb pointed out, which I never really thought of but is obvious is you're also practicing to where like your quarterback may have just thrown like 400 passes, yeah. like his arm just might be tired, right? Like that's possible. And like it, that's an obvious thing. Yeah. We just never thought about it. They and, throw a lot, yeah. At a mini camp, a lot of them are off. And at a mini camp, they're just trucking the ball over the place. It's to me that was just a social media person who doesn't understand. We talk about this all the time watching games where like you'll see a long pass to a player. It's a bad throw. And everybody's like, oh, what a throw. Like, no, it wasn't. It was a bad throw. What are you talking about? Like, I, I think a lot of people just see a completed pass and like, good throw. And I think they just had a social media person that was like, hey, he caught a pass. That's cool. I'm going to post this. And didn't realize that it wasn't a good throw. Do we discount the impact of the new Tua video because it was Jalen Waddle? His guy. Yeah. we got, we got. You know what? I retract all of that. We got to see him in stride, hit Tyreek Hill, or I'm out. No, I, I think it's I just, a, I, I, Going back to last week again, I just thought it was so – I understand we're all trained to act like horses' asses and react to everything on video, but when I saw like Damian Woody, like bro, you played. What are you doing? Right. You're not some ass hat who's you never played football on any high level. You played. Yeah. Uh, although I, I will say, like, and I, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my, um, like, context for things is, you know, I love Pat McAfee show, and he played. AJ Hawk played. They were laughing at it, but they were they were mad at the social media person. They were like, dude, this is a terrible throw. What are you doing? Right. Why are you posting this? Imagine McAvee during his playing days. They just, you know, they catch a solid shank. Right. Like, Here we go. This is what the whole season is going to be yeah. like. He, this 17-yarder that he just nailed out of bounds. He said a lot of the stuff that, that Caleb said of like, dude, this is practice. Like, these things happen, but don't post it. Don't post the bad throws. What are you doing down there? But that is my dolphin, so hopefully everything's okay. Every year with a new team. This time, it's the coach because he went to Yale and because um, – Allegedly, he's different. I'll just say that. He's different. He's different. It's not alleged. He's definitely different. And his best friend growing up is among my favorite comedians. It's, it's, there's a lot of ties there. Uh, we also think he was whacked on a Pat McAfee I don't, interview. I don't, I'm willing to say he was. I don't, <laughs> like, think. I don't think. I mean, they made reference to it yeah. on the show. So, yeah, I think, think he was. Deshaun Watson's going to meet with the NFL. Uh, I've seen some legal people say, well, this would suggest the investigation is coming near an end. You would think so. Yeah. Like you don't meet with somebody at the, at the beginning or the middle, right? Uh, the target. 
or the not the not necessarily the target, but the the focus. Um, you would think that they the NFL has a lot of the information that they're going to get, and they're going to ask him his thoughts on it, where you know what he thinks about certain things, and have some information to you know potentially dispute something he might say, so you can kind of you know quote unquote catch him in some things. So yeah, you would think that this is uh, the beginning of the end of the process. What about Watson? As so many people have said. How does he address doubters on the Browns? Like, if they're like, I don't know if I want to play with this guy. Take him on a trip. Where? How good? I mean, it depends how much he really wants to make an impression, but I would say, like, somewhere tropical. It's not a staycation to the north, like, go to one of the lakes. Oh, well, first of all, drive. It's it's wouldn't, all it wouldn't be. They'll a... drive up and hang out at, you know, somewhere on Lake Michigan. Well, first of all, let's be clear. Like Lake Erie. Let's also that. also be clear, it wouldn't be a staycation. Deshaun Watson does not live in Cleveland. You don't think he's setting up permanent residence? I know he's not. The, the meeting with the NFL is in Texas. He still is in Houston. He's got time. If so, he's suspended for eight games, he doesn't have to live there. It's definitely Although not. I would a, assume he'd be around the organization. So, you think maybe they'll go to the? Uh, I mean, he's he's guaranteed two fifty. Move. Go up to like Traverse City, Michigan. Some nice dunes. That doesn't sound great. Bahamas. No. I'm in. I mean, I would prefer, obviously, Cancun or Cabo, but Bahamas is nice, I suppose. A lot of jokes there. <laughs> like a spa? Is there a spa at the resort? <laughs> yeah, distance between that. And the next topic. Thank you. Crunching pads repeatedly. <laughs> Thank you. It could have been subtle. You didn't have to say it. I, I, I thought that was subtle. Brian Edwards moved on Friday to the Falcons. A lot of Raiders fans I saw on the uh, blogosphere, Twittersphere. Very annoyed. He was a monster last year in overtime. Sure. That was very key. Also in preseason. He's surprised. He was, he was that, some combination between Randy Moss and Terrell Owens. Well, every year, yeah, talking about tall receivers. He's surprised they, they moved on him? No. Okay. I mean, yes, from some – like, I've seen the same things everybody else has that, that's around practice. He's He has a ton of potential. I like I really, really like him as a kid, too. Really good kid. Um, it has has good size. Um, but this this – Oftentimes, you know, a new administration comes in and it's like, okay, well, we don't have any connection to these people. We don't have any ties to them. We didn't draft them. We don't have any stake in how they play. And so it becomes much easier to move on from a guy. Uh, they signed a ton of receivers that are, well, obviously Devontae Adams is the big splashy one, but they signed a ton of guys that are, you know, they're more familiar with that more fit their system. Um, I know that the jokes are there of like what system with the Patriots with wide receivers, what system? Um, but I, I think these, you know, they brought in a bunch of, a bunch of complimentary receivers to Devonte Adams. And so I, I think that they just didn't see a place necessarily for Brian Edwards. Uh, but this is the kind of move that, and this is, this isn't even necessarily a knock on, on Mayock and Gruden, because I think a lot of coaches and GMs would do the same thing. Like you wouldn't have made this move even if you didn't think Brian Edwards fit because you're like, 
what does it say about our draft class? Like, we have to have somebody succeed from that draft class. And the 2020 draft class of the Raiders is abysmal. Mike Mayock, you remember the quote before the draft? Three picks in the third is just like stealing. If we're doing our jobs the right way, hopefully that's three more starters. Lynn Bowden started things off. Never played a game for the Raiders. Brian Edwards, somewhat productive, 45 catches, 764 in the air. Traded after two years. And Tanner Mews never played for the Raiders. Could not get healthy. Their last two picks in that draft, John Simpson, who could compete for a starting spot. Rotational guy in the offensive line. Amik Robertson, rotational guy in the secondary for now. For now, that's the thing. Uh, First-round picks, Yep. Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs. That's not a good draft. No. That's a over through three rounds. Over five. Technically, I think they traded back out of the third and got used like right at the beginning of the fourth, but still. Not good. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. Not good. Oof. Oof. I think I actually I think this paves the way for some uh at least one or two veteran bargain signings if they can find them. Don't you? Well, but I think that Or you think they're gonna be all young behind Renfro and Adams? Well, they brought in Keelan Cole, so but beyond, but beyond that, they what, what I'm referencing is they're going to get a big name for a you know for a bargain rate. Well, they got Mac Collins. I mean, they got like there's guys. not what I'm talking about. Right? I don't know. Um, so is it OBJ? Is it Aguilar? Is it some, you know someone? I mean, is someone makes, else who's cut? Aguilar makes a ton of sense. Is he okay? Um, obviously, you can't. He's with the Patriots, right? Um, but it might not be for long. Yeah, with June first coming up. Yeah, I, I mean, I, listen, I think that they were going to be in the market for any and all positions. Uh, coming up, you know, with with cuts coming up potentially, as you said, after June first, and then there's still guys out there. I, I was I was doing a kind of a um, I was working on a story this weekend about just acquisitions and departures from each of the teams in the division, and you know, going to going to pages of each of the teams, and a lot of them I wasn't even counting as departures yet because they haven't signed. But you just go if you go through every team, and it, there's actually a, a really good website um, uh, over the cap has a page where you can just click on a team and see. Any transaction that was made this offseason. And there if you go through, there's like all these guys, and you're like, Yeah, that guy hasn't signed. That guy's that guy hasn't signed yet. Like there's so many guys that are just sitting out there still. That's why we mentioned it last week. It was like, you know, Mike Davis and who was the other veteran running back signing for like a you know one one point two million. And I know running back is devalued. Let's build on this as the uh, as the show develops some some names out there that are still available that might surprise people. But up next, let's get back to the story of the day. Pete DeBoer is out. The Vegas Golden Knights have fired him. We'll bring in uh, one of the fellows from TSN and TSN Radio in Toronto to break things down and also uh, look back and look ahead on what's going on right now in the NHL playoffs. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Now, back to Cofield & Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, rolling on with the news of the day. Pete DeBoer is out as the Vegas Golden Knights coach. And listen, the reaction in Vegas is going to be pretty strong. I, What do you think, Adam, amongst the fans? What do you think the percentage was or is of fans that wanted DeBoer gone? Oh, man. I would say probably at least 50. Maybe higher. I think it's higher. Yeah, maybe higher. Yeah. So there's not some massive outcry today. I cannot imagine what it's like being on the ground in Toronto after losing that series. It's been frustrating of late for the Maple Leafs. We wanted to talk some hockey and, you know, get into the Knights, but we want to talk about the overall picture in the playoffs here in the NHL and a guy who does analysis for TSN and is on uh, TSN radio, former goalie in the NHL, is uh, Jamie McLennan is up with Steven Adam. How are you, sir? 
Not too bad. How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're good. We're good. You know, we are, I'll say this, we have, um, you know, a passionate hockey fan base here, but it's nothing like Toronto. I'm not going to ever compare what we've got here right now to Toronto. So what was it like today uh, after a weekend where the Leafs were bounced after leading in the series? How intense was it? Uh, let me paint you a picture. So we started our show with the, uh, the song by Simon and Garfunkel, Hello, Darkness, My Old Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> we have done that six years in a row, oh. and I, I have been doing media 11 years in Toronto, and basically that's what it's almost like we called it our annual show. We did our annual show where they lose in the first round today. So it's unfortunate. It's sad. The fan base, as you mentioned, the fan base is large. It's loud. It's passionate. Um, you know, fantastic regular season team, 115 points. Uh, you know, Austin Matthews, 60 goals. But unable to get past the first round again. It's just a different, you know, it's the same outcome, a different story of how it happened. Uh, where you lose to the two-time champs. But, uh, yeah, certainly some frustration from uh, the people at Leafland today. This is going to sound obnoxious, but I'm not trying to be obnoxious with this question. Shouldn't they be used to it by now? Uh, you know what? It's not obnoxious because the fan base uh, has so much apathy right now. It's almost like they expect it. <laughs> like, you know, they expect bad things to happen because – you know, Austin Matthews scores 60, and all I could get, you know, when you walk around town is people like, we'll see how it unfolds in the playoffs, because that's... Shaky phone. We're going we're gonna to try to hook it up. He's just finishing a show, too. Inter- international call. Yeah, so we're, we're, uh, we'll, we'll work on the phone here. All right, let's bring uh, Jamie back up. Jamie, keep going. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Right. I'm driving home from the studio, but I, uh, I don't know where you lost me, but it's, uh, what I wanted to say is you're not being obnoxious. This fan base gets very frustrated. Um, they have apathy because they know they almost have it in their bones that they feel like this is going to happen to them every year, and it has happened six years in a row, so it's very frustrating for them. So uh, what went wrong? Well, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to say what went I guess what went right for Tampa? I mean, Tampa, we were calling Andre Vasilevsky John Wick because he's the boogeyman, and he showed up in Game 7. Uh, I wouldn't say what went wrong. It's just, you know, it was a seesaw battle. The Leafs were great in Game 1. They stunk in Game 2. Game 3, they bounced back. Game 4, they were terrible. You know, it was almost just a back and forth. And, you know, ultimately, if I had to put my thumb on it, take a look at the Game 7s that we just witnessed in the last two days. McDavid delivers in Edmonton. Johnny Goudreau delivers in Calgary. Shesterkin and Panarin deliver in New York. You know, the, the common theme is star power, and then there's a couple unsung heroes. Max Domi in Carolina. Cody Cece in Edmonton helps out with the game-winning goal. Uh, Nick Paul in Tampa scores two. So there's different storylines. You're waiting for a hero to step up. Unfortunately, the, the big boys for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they didn't play poorly, but they didn't seize the moment as well. Do you think Tampa is a threat going forward? It seemed like they were kind of maybe done. You know, this, this kind of dynasty may be over, but uh, they're, they're right there again now. I, don't, I, I do see them as a threat because, you know, if you look at the spine of their team, you've got uh, one, arguably the greatest goaltender 
on the planet in Vasilevsky. I know Shesterkin's going to win the Vesna. Vasilevsky is uh, he's a rock star. Victor Hedman's capable of playing half the game. So there's your defense right there, and you add in Sergachev and McDonough. So those three, that three-headed monster on the back end. The Braden Point injury is certainly concerning because you know the way they were built down the middle with Point. You know, if Stamkos plays center as well, Sorelli's there. Um, you know, they, they've got depth up front. So Braden Point, missing him and plugging in Nick Paul, um, it might be troublesome over the long haul against Florida. But I don't count them out. Championship pedigree, that goes a long way. Those guys didn't panic once. Hmm. Not even in game six going into, the, into overtime. They, it's almost like they knew they could win. And they got it done. And so I never count them out. Yeah, they might look tired. They might be banged up. But I think championship pedigree and character goes a long way in this game. Jamie McLennan's with us, uh, TSN and uh, TSN Sports Radio in Toronto. Of course, uh, NHL goalie as well. All right, let's uh, let's move to the West. First of all, let's talk about our, our uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, what was your view yep. of the Knights from afar? And now Pete DeBoer is gone. You know what? Okay, so I'll work backwards. I thought the Anything that could have gone wrong for Vegas basically did this year. Injuries, inconsistencies, even to the point where you trade Dadnoff and the trade doesn't even work. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. it just, it was one of those seasons where you're like, man, oh man, they're just having one. At one point, I follow this website called Man Games Lost. I believe Vegas was either second or third behind the Montreal Canadiens. So you trade for Jack Eichel. You know, I bet they missed Mark Stone and Pacioretty and all those guys, like uh, the guys that were injured. And then you throw in Robin Leonard, um, you know, who, who's a, a very good goaltender when he's playing, but that's the challenge. Is is he available to you nightly? We know the injuries and what he tried to battle through. Um, you know, obviously much publicized, uh, some of the mental health struggles that he goes through too. So it was almost like the perfect storm in a negative way mm-hmm. that happened to them. That's kind of why I thought today's decision um, to relieve DeBoer of his duties was surprising just based on so many other factors that went wrong for them. But sometimes you just need a fresh voice and a fresh outlook. But I have uh, high expectations for that team because they are loaded, loaded with talent. I have to assume the answer, I was going to ask you if it's a coveted job. I have to assume the answer is yes on that, that a lot of people would want this job. But who? what direction, I guess, would you go in? Is there a name or is there a type of coach that you think would work best? Uh, I mean, it's easy to go, hey, Barry Trotz is out there. So, you know, that, like, he, he's a team that takes, uh, uh, you know, teams deep into the playoffs, uh, has tremendous structure, has tremendous respect throughout the league. You know, you go younger, maybe a guy like Travis Green, who, you know, had early on success with the Vancouver Canucks, helped build that program there. And then they ran into some injuries and inconsistency issues as well. And Travis got relieved, and, and Bruce Boudreaux slid in there. Uh, Rick Tockett's another name that comes to the forefront. If you're looking at, and, and I say this respectfully because a lot of these, these guys are my friends, if you're looking at recycling coaches that have come from other programs, there's certainly some great names out there. And I'm not even privy to you know, young college coaches coming up or somebody who's had success at the AHL level. But I, I would say there should be a lineup to who would want to coach that team in Vegas because not only the city is brilliant, we all know Vegas is uh, arguably one of the greatest cities on the planet, but just you look at the organization and Kelly McCrimmon and 
you know, Bill Foley and the organization and, and, and the, what they put together, uh, George McPhee, I, I, I think it's a coveted job. And you look at the talented roster, so there'll be no shortage of, of coaches that would line up to coach there. Do you think DeBoer gets a job right away? I do. Um, I, I'm not, I think he had one more year on his deal. Correct. Um, but Peter's a guy who, you know, sometimes uh, it's just a fresh voice. Uh, you know, I, I've had great coaches throughout my career. Al Arbor, uh, Mike Keene, and Joel Quinville, Jacques Lemaire. I, I mean, you, you know, I've had some guys that are, are Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, sometimes the voice, uh, Daryl Sutter, I'll throw him in there as well. Sometimes the voice just gets stale and you need a new voice or a new direction. So I do believe he gets another job. Um, I'm not sure how quickly, just depending on, you know, the coaching carousel always starts uh, right about now. There's, there's the first-round fa- There's teams that don't make the playoffs. Then there's the first-round failures where expectations were higher. Uh, I'll throw in another name, Paul Maurice, who's a fantastic coach and a great communicator. So I think there would be some, uh, some great looks for uh, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights to, for options out there for them. Is Quenville still too hot to touch? Uh, yes. I, listen, Joel, I love him to death. Uh, we all know there's mistakes that were made. Uh, there's retributions that are being paid. Um, you know, I think there's the league, and, and I hope that through education and through uh, some of the mistakes that have been made, you know, people get better and they, they head in the direction of the, the right direction. And um, so I don't know if, if Joel would be an option, to be honest. Um, you know, I know he's a great coach, but certainly there's been mistakes made. And, and you know, his name was attached to that, uh, you know, that situation in Chicago, uh, the Kyle Beach. And, you know, first and foremost, when I think of that situation, I think of Kyle. I think, you know, it's uh, other people lost their jobs and, lost their livelihoods. Kyle Beach, you know, has gone through a, a lifetime of hurt. So, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if, if Joel is too hot to touch or if it's even a scenario if he does coach again just based on, you know, the scenario, the, the situation. But, you know, going back, I can only talk about my experience with Joel as he was a fantastic coach and, and really good to me. But there are some great options out there. If the Knights were to move on Robin Leonard at five mil a year, would someone have interest in trading for him to be their starter? Starter is the word that I struggle with, guys, because I think he's more of a tandem goaltender. I, you know, he's not a 60-game starter. He's, for me, about a 45- to 50-game guy. So that means you need somebody who can play 35 games. That's, that's a tandem. That's not, that's not a, a, a standalone guy like Hellebuck or Vasilevsky or Demko or, you know, Jacob Markstrom or, you know, uh, Shesterkin. Those are the guys. And, and believe me, the game nowadays, um, analytics-driven, not a lot of back-to-back situations where you see the goaltender play in those scenarios. We're seeing more of the traditional goaltender that plays 50 games and a backup that in a tandem that plays 35. That's what Robin Leonard is to me. Um, you throw in, you know, his, his injury issues. And then again, some of the struggles that he's had to endure in his career. Uh, he's a hell of a goaltender. I really believe that, but I also believe that you have to be mindful and respectful of his situation and, and the whole package that, uh, that comes with Robin. It's the voice of Jamie McLennan. All right. We, uh, we'll close out on something very offbeat. I don't know if you've seen the story, but I'll make a connection here. 
to the NFL with a, there's a guy named Sam Howell who's out of North Carolina. He got drafted by the Commanders. Then they found out that he's a chicken tender maniac, like to the point where he says he's never had another meat. Uh, he will bring chicken tenders to the facility instead of eating the the team meals. Do you have a uh, did you have a long dalliance with pasta? I mean, my nickname being Noodles, yes. absolutely, yes. back yes. in the day. Yes. Um, you know, so uh, full disclosure, yeah. the nickname came from junior hockey. Okay. So 30, <laughs> I'm 50 years old, and I played junior pro in Spokane, Washington, right. in Lethbridge, Alberta, uh, 32, 33 years ago. Okay. So we used to, like, nutrition was a swear <laughs> word back right. then. We right. were eating burgers and fries and, and you know, before the game. So... You know, you're not seeing protein shakes and iPhones and stuff like that back then. So there was one plug-in on the bus, and we would stop at these road trips uh, at, like, little diners at the side of the road eating Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes. And I would have heartburn by the time the second period came around. So I I said, you know what, I'm going to bring a crock pot on the bus. I'm going to plug it into the one plug-in and start making craft dinner. And after a while, some of the guys would stay on the bus with me because they're saying, to hell with this, we don't want uh, heartburn as well from the Salisbury steak. So that's how it's not a sexy story, but yeah. that's how I got the nickname Noodles, and it stuck with me. And the minute that you say to people, hey, I don't like that nickname, they double down on it. Yeah, so yeah. basically, <laughs> I, I'm 32 years later, 33 years later, I'm still Noodles. Do I? The crazy part, I thought you were... I'm like, we don't know each other that well. You're talking about chicken fingers. Yeah. I have the palate of a four-year-old because I have a four-year-old son, yep. and all we do is eat chicken fingers exactly. and fries. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not lying. I, about an hour ago, that's what I had at the yeah. studio. So um, if, if my nickname isn't Noodles, it should be Chicken Fingers. Now, now you're going to change it. Yeah. You and Sam Howell have something, a uh, uh, connection. Yeah, important question, though. What, what sauce do you go with on the chicken fingers? Mm. Just a barbecue. I'm pretty lazy, guys, okay. and, and, and the thing is, I'm pretty straightforward, so I'm just a very, very... I don't mind, honestly, just the, the plain chicken finger and then just a little dip. Mm. That's, that's me. I'm, I don't step out of my wheelhouse. and you know that's, When I get to Vegas and I end up going out to some of the great steakhouses and that, I'll tell a quick story, and I know we got to go, but I was lucky enough when I played in St. Louis, we were in L.A., and we ended up at Wolfgang Puck's restaurant after hours and wolfgang was there oh wow and we're hanging out with him and he's like i'll fire up the kitchen i'm gonna make some pizza what do you want so chris pronger's like yeah we'll have shrimp we'll have this and that he looks at me and i'll go i'll have a cheese pizza pronger almost knocked (laughs) he was like this is one of the greatest chefs in the world and i asked for a cheese pizza from him so that's what you're dealing with guys uh i do have the palate of a four-year-old there you go. Very important information to close out the discussion. Thank you so much. We know you just finished your show, and uh, that was great. That was really good. All good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, man. There he is. One of the experts from TSN, does sports radio in Toronto, and has transitioned from – I mean, there's so much more there. That, that's a that's – a, for us on this show, that's a 40-minute conversation. Crockpot. He essentially was like one of the first uh, nutritionalists in sports history, professional sports history. Yeah, why didn't the team be like, hey, why don't you just make – Food for everybody, now. right? Like, that the, seems like a better idea. The, the fire hazard of a crock pot on a—I'm fascinated by that. Oh, he's got to be an air fryer guy now too.
Well, we got we got to rebook him. Yeah, at the end, I, I should have pulled the uh, what does Levitar do that all the time? Where he's like, yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We got a lot more on the crockpot. All right, Jamie. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. One owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. So what you make of the whole Sam Howell thing with the chicken fingers and chicken tenders, that the guy only eats chicken tenders, claims he's never had a burger, steak, and uh, two training facilities he will he will bring in his own chicken tenders. That's going to end, correct? I would, I would imagine. I think he's pretty doughy, the, too. Yeah, I would imagine. We get the vast hound crew to look up some uh, topless pictures of Sam Howell, please. Wait, what? Like those Mac Jones, the weird Tom Brady combine photo. Yeah, I think Howell's a little doughy. I think he's got to get off the chicken tenders. And believe me, I love chicken tenders. It's like a perfect food. Man, I had wings the other night. I'm not a I'm not a sauce and toss. Sounds creepy. Okay. Um, I, I usually I'm usually a dipper. Yeah. Right. Unless it's like one of the chain places and they just flatter it with. But I I usually don't love that. But man, I had sauce and tossed wings. Uh, I think it was Saturday night. Man, they were good. Real good. Well, uh, our good friend uh, Chris over at Naked City used to do the um, tossed in sauce and blue cheese. Oh, that's right. You love that. Oh, so good. Incredible. And you still add more blue cheese after? Do you think Howell's going to fight? Actually, <laughs> I, I actually the, got the nutrition experts with the commanders. Well, By the way, does anyone in North Carolina compare about or, or care about your conditioning? Chicken tenders all the time. Well, I, just, I think it's been overblown. There's no way you eat chicken tenders all the time. I don't. I don't believe it. That's that's the issue. And the, how? I was gonna say, how can you go through life without ever having a burger? I'm sure there's vegetarians and things like that. I'm sure that have. Like you, you have to have had only chicken, point. no fish, no red meat. It's just, it's amazing. And I don't know if he eats the other white meat. I don't know if he digs digs on the swine. I I don't get it. Goes it. with the pork. I don't. I just. I don't believe when I hear things like that. I mean, we know we have. You know, we have friends of the show. Uh, both Amazing, Gramala and uh, Case Kiefer, who don't eat anything. Yeah. The cheese pizza story. Oh, that's great from Jamie McLennan. He's <laughs> with Wolfgang Puck. He's going to make you custom pizza. I'll take cheese. What? No. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a friend like that too. Will only eat a plain burger. Only cheese pizza. It's, it's so weird. My dad, my dad is somewhat like that too, which is not surprising. No, yeah, as, as you know, weird. that he's Kurt's weird. Very minimalist. He is very much a minimalist. Um, I've told the story. His, not, it's not funny, but his house burned down yeah. uh, completely to the ground, lost everything, and the insurance people didn't believe right. when he gave the list of what he had in the house. They were like, like, no, you had to have more than that. He's like, no. Like, really? Give us a list, please. That's all I had. Like, a one chair, one old, like... Why didn't he beef it up? It would have been believable. They told him to. I've never heard of a case of an insurance right, right. company please. being like, can you please add, like, this doesn't look real. That's all I had. <laughs> I had his uh, I, I one just, chair, one table, but it wasn't one even a pot, chair. Do one remember, dish. Do you remember what the chair was? I told this. I think I told this story in the air. Is it a futon? No, he didn't have a chair. He had. Uh, we had thrown out an old sectional. He took the middle section yeah. of the sectional. So no, no armrests on anything. Just the middle, the little middle corner section, like the the pizza slice section. That was his chair. So thrifty. In a in God, a TV from him. like the seventies. Your dad, Kurt's a hero. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. We call them cones. You know what you do with cones? 
Like when in the summertime, you got a cone, you make a move. What does the cone do? Stay still. Exactly. Use a cone. Stop playing, man. Everybody knows that. Everyone knows that. It's just y'all don't want to accept it. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. That was the voice of uh, Pat Bev on the way back. You know, maybe he has a future in media down the road. I appreciate the honesty. It was pretty disrespectful. Uh, John Von Tobel's big on the NBA. John, is this all CP3's fault? Did he deserve to get blasted yesterday and today? I mean, he deserves criticism for you know his lack of production down the stretch. Sure, I, th- I think anytime you lose a series in which you're up to nothing, I think everybody deserves a little bit of blame. I, I, I laugh at many things. I laugh at one, kind of what you're alluding to. We have to do this all the time, right? It's got to be one person yeah. that we point and laugh at and disrespect and tell them it's all their fault. Uh, it's not going to be Devin Booker who was you know equally non-existent in that game. It's not DeAndre Ayton who had to be benched. Uh, because of, a, as Money Williams put it, internal reasons. Let's slow down. Why Why can't it be Aiton, who essentially took himself out of the game because he pissed off Monty Williams because he was complaining about not getting the ball? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it should. I think it should be Aiden. I think it should okay. be all these guys. All right. it, it, it's, right. it should be all their fault. That's what. I, that's my point. Is like we're, we're laughing at all. You know, but we have to do Chris Paul because we have to do the legacy thing, right? We have to call him CP No Rings, or <laughs> as he is now being referred to on NBA Twitter, Christopher Paul. He's not allowed to be Chris anymore. He has to be Christopher Paul oh because God. he's just not that good anymore. So no, it's ridiculous. And I also to push back there on Patrick Beverly, which I mean, I'm sure he's listening. Uh, Chris Paul has made the all-defensive team nine times in his career. Like, yes, he's old, and he's a little bit slower, uh, but I don't think everybody in the NBA who Patrick Beverly kept saying he speaks for thinks that Chris Chris Paul is a traffic cone. And the last point on the whole Pat Bev thing, which I thought was funny, Mike Greenberg's kind of a nerd sometimes. And, like, I don't know if you saw the uh, the bit where he's saying, you know, they should have benched Chris Paul. And Mike Greenberg's like, I, I want to be clear, despite his stature, you believe that Chris Paul should have been benched. And Patrick Beverly's like, yeah, I should have thought. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it was, it was painful. Was it was painful because then Beverly was like, you're just going to discredit what I'm saying. And you know, immediately Greeny's like, no, not me, not me. Like, what, what is Pat Beverly even talking about? It's your opinion. No one's going to discredit you. If we disagree with it, we disagree with it. Like, what was this like defensive stance? Is he going to go out and, and blast Chris Paul? By the way, now Aiton is out. And I know I think you like Aiden. Uh, no Jokic. Embiid is out. Look at the teams that are left. Small ball. This is the death of the center in the NBA. Well, I don't know if it's the death of the center, but John Hollinger wrote a really good piece on The Athletic and actually tweeted that out earlier today if you want to like go on my Twitter feed and, feed and read it. Uh, it's definitely worth reading because and he as he slugs it, it's not so much small ball, Steve. It's space ball, yeah. right? You're, you're putting five guys out there, whatever their size is, uh, that can all shoot. That you're going to play five out, maybe four out if you got a bigger guy uh, out there as your center. But you're going to play four or five out. You're going to attack with dribble penetration. You're going to force teams to get into their rotations defensively. And you're going to kick the ball out. And you're going to find an open shooter. Or you're just going to finish within four feet of the basket. The Clippers did exactly this to Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz last year. You saw the Dallas Mavericks do it to him again this year. And you saw them do it to the Phoenix Suns. It's exactly what is kind of taking over the NBA at this point. So if you want to call it small ball, it's kind of along the same vein. Uh, but the difference sometimes between small ball and what you're calling now space ball, I guess, if you want to use the Hollinger term again, is that generally you're going to have five shooters on the floor, like five guys who can take an adequate three-point shot. And that has made the biggest difference in the world. And like I don't think centers are dead, right, because Joel Embiid, you know, who knows what happens in that series if he's fully healthy. Nikola Jokic, who knows what happens if he has his two best players on that team. But you're definitely seeing the um, 
you're seeing the way that rosters are being constructed now in the NBA, and it is effective for the most part because I think all four teams that you are seeing that are still alive have some variation of space ball that they can use. Wouldn't Cliff Paul be better than Christopher? A, I think the insult. insult I, I think the insult is that Cliff Paul has better basketball skills than Chris Paul. So you still okay. he's still Christopher Paul. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, that's yeah. fair. So you notice with the Suns, we go to Chris Paul, we go to Aiden. We don't talk about the other side, which is the story. And you sent over a note last week. You were doing the final show of the week, and it was like, hey, you know, we really need to appreciate Luca. And then you you sent back over a note today, like, yeah, I told you on Friday. Um, well, I just we really we really do because what he's doing. Like we just talked about uh, Jokic without you know his a great supporting cast. Look at what Luca is doing. Well, he's he's been brilliant, and I don't want it. This isn't to denigrate the, the cast around him because I think he's got a pretty solid team. But I just think it's like you know if you know me, guys. Like I like numbers and analytics and all of these things. But sometimes it is just cool to see dudes just grab their teams by the scruff of their neck and being like, we're not losing, guys. Like, I am so great. We are going to do this. And if you remember, after game five, you saw them lose that game 110 to 80 in Phoenix. And Luca is recorded coming out of the gym and heading back to the locker room yelling, everybody's tough when they're up. Everybody's tough when they're up. And he says it two times. He followed that up. With 33 points, <laughs> uh, yeah, 33 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists in game six to win and force a game seven, and then 35, 10, and four the night the night after on game seven, or excuse me, the, the night before today, game seven on 63% shooting from the floor. Like it's just pure greatness, man. In elimination games, he's averaging 37, 38 points per game. His postseason numbers have been ridiculous. And if you have watched him in the first two series, you know a lot of people were starting to be like, "You got to get out of the first round." He, you talk about some of those teams, Steve. He was single-handedly pushing the Clippers in each of those last two playoff series, last two seasons, by himself. He Mm -hmm. was brilliant. It took Kawhi Leonard's best postseason game of his career to at least keep the Clippers alive and ultimately win in Game 7. Like it's been brilliant to watch what Luka Doncic has done, and like we're, it's cool because like we're watching, I think, history. Like in 10, 15 years from now, when we're going to look back and how great Luka Doncic's career been, however many finals he wins, if he wins any, like these, like these performances, this beginning of the career, we're going to look back and realize, like, yeah, that's kind of the norm. He's been brilliant, man. That was the same draft uh, Luka was in as Aiden, right? And the coach at the time actually had ties to. Luca and they still passed on him with the Suns. So I mean, it, that, in the end, that could alter freaking you know future NBA history for the Suns, who look who look like they're kind of built for the long haul. But obviously, they got some decisions to make now in CP3 and Aiden. Yes, and also it's worth noting too that Igor Kokoskov, who is who you're mentioning, who is yeah. the coach of the Phoenix Suns at the time, who they decided to draft Aiton instead of uh, Luka Doncic, uh, is now an assistant with the Dallas Mavericks. So mm. like, it all kind of comes full circle <laughs> when you get to see all of this kind of happen. When you're looking at what could have happened with the Phoenix, I mean, think about that. Like Chris Paul's brilliant, but think about a Devin Booker Luka Doncic backcourt and <laughs> where the Suns could potentially be. Right, like it'd be. I, you have no idea, but that would be a really brilliant and offensive pairing that the, that the NBA would have nightmares over. So, like, yeah, it, that that moment, and especially with with uh, with uh, what's going on with Aiton, right, who seems to be on the verge of moving on from the Phoenix Suns. There were rumblings that the you know there were conversations between Phoenix and Indiana during the season, during a sixty win season, that maybe that he was on the move in the during the regular season. So that seems to be something where those two are on their way of separating. And Doncic is going to be a mainstay for the Mavericks for as long as he'll like it, and maybe go down as one of the best basketball players of his generation. So it sounds like you're ready to bet the Mavericks to win it all next year. 
Well, ah, what a good setup. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does seem like uh, these Mavericks are set up pretty well. And yes, odds are out uh, for this thing. Now, I will say, I'm not entirely sure, Adam, if I want to bet them at this number. DraftKings does have odds up for next year's championship. Uh, they are the Mavericks 14-1 to 1, uh, to win it. So that would be the same odds as the Philadelphia 76ers, just behind the Miami Heat, who are 11-1. to 1, And then you get to the single-digit teams, uh, which are uh, going from uh, bottom up. Milwaukee Bucks, Phoenix Suns, Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, Clippers, and Nets, who are the favorites to win the title next year at DraftKings at plus 450. How about that? Are you are you shocked, Steve, that your Nets are the favorite to win the title next year? I believe in management. I think they're going to put together a hell of a team. <laughs> They've really nailed also, it. They've really nailed it of late. Although I did like uh, the end of last week when they basically told Kyrie, like, uh, you know what? Take the deal you have now. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't opt out of that, you know, in, in hopes of a long term. Just be careful. Yeah, but I also think, because there was a lot of people that were like, they didn't win a playoff game. This is ridiculous. The odds makers are so stupid. Remember yeah. that this team next year, if fully realized, is going to have Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, Joe Harris. Um, you would assume more than what they got out of Kyrie Irving from availability. But again, that's a very big assumption given Kyrie's past. And Kevin Durant. Like, if that team's fully healthy and gets 60-plus games from all of those guys, that's one of the better teams in the NBA. Favored in the NBA, not entirely sure, but they should be up there. And from a liability standpoint, you're going to get a lot of action on them, so you got to put them up there. But the team to watch out for are the Los Angeles Clippers, my friends. I'm just telling you. Well, it'd be nice to see a full complement of players, right? In what way? What do you mean? Thanks for, for the Clippers to be healthy. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Like I'm not, I'm not shocked that you. I don't know if you were saying that tongue in cheek, but being sarcastic, but they should be great next year. Oh, they should. I mean, and they did a brilliant job at the trade deadline, getting a bunch of role players. I mean, the fact that they're going to have like Reggie Jackson, Norm Powell, Robert Covington, like all these guys, these ancillary pieces that they have around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they're going to be, I think, the best team in the NBA next year. In the offseason for the Bucks, can they just look at the series loss and go, well, no Middleton, we're good? Or do no. they have to make some changes? No, I think they got to make changes. Like, and not like wholesale big changes, but like, you know, like they missed a Dante DiVincenzo. They needed, they need better guard play. Grayson Allen's just not going to cut it. Uh, you know, in the small moments, he showed some brilliant flashes, like when he attempted to injure Jason Tatum as he shoved <laughs> him to the ground, fighting for a ball. Um, but, like, a really, you need more guard play and more consistent guard play outside of Drew Holiday. You know, guards not named Drew Holiday in Game 7 went over from the floor. I think they were 0-12. And Holiday himself wasn't that great. I think you're prioritizing getting some free agent help in terms of the backcourt because Chris Middleton was missed, but they also need much more support on their bench in terms of backcourt play. Let's play this game in the final minute. Warriors advance past the Mavericks. I know the Mavs have a chance. Warriors advance. Who is built better to take down GSW? Is it the Heat? Is it the Celtics? Uh, I think it's the Celtics. I, to me, the Celtics are the best team left in the NBA right now. Like that, that is still alive. They're my highest power rated team. Uh, they are brilliant. They are balanced. They have a whole bunch of size. They're switchable. They'll switch one through five. They can score. Uh, when you have really good wing play like they do, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you're going to be able to built on. You're going to be built to built built to take on any one of these teams. It is the uh, Boston Celtics. Okay. I got a few Let more seconds. I got a few more seconds here. Uh, did you see the Mike Florio Wagyu steak? That was up on Twitter. Uh, I did. Pro football and, talk, my lord. And as I and when I retweeted it, as I said, I thought gambling Twitter was a terrible place. <laughs> and then I stumbled upon steak Twitter. Yeah. And then I went even <laughs> further down the rabbit hole and I went to steak Reddit. Oh my god, these people are psychopaths. They are. No, I mean, it was it was a weird looking steak, man. It, it was wor it was worse than mine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there were people. It was well, that were like it was well done on the outside, and then extremely rare. It looked like a piece of fish. But the coloring right. was off. 
it, it looked like 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 tuna, like yep. seared tuna on yep. the outside. Now people were explaining how he cooked it and like saying it was right, and others were destroying them. I like I thought it just looked like a guy who like didn't let it cool enough, right? Or like warm up enough, I guess is actually the term. So like the middle was still frozen. I don't know, but I also don't know anything about cooking steak, and I would never post a picture of steak ever in my life. Don't do it. Thanks, John. See you guys. There is John Von Tobel, VSIN, every day, Monday to Friday, one o'clock start. Then he's got his hardwood handicapper show on Saturday. Check that Sunday afternoons.